So let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Um, yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are funny. <laughs> thank you that you bring laughter into our lives because by your spirit you gift us with joy. You bring good things into our lives. Thank you also that you call us to be a people to find hope in the midst of even tragedy and difficulty and struggle. And that we can be real with you despite what comes, what comes at us. If we're frustrated and angry and things don't seem to be going right. You surround us with people that are going to listen and care about us. And, and that you're the kind of God who, as the psalmist teaches us, was willing to hear Whatever is on our hearts, whatever is on our minds, you're willing to listen to us. Whether we're frustrated and angry or whether we are overwhelmed with, with peace and with joy, with whatever is happening, you are the God who hears us, who cares about what we're experiencing. So let you forever be praised, Lord God, because you are so attentive to us. Um, and I know, Father, that there are times when we do have to just take that and trust and take that by faith because we don't always feel like you are near but we trust that you are and we let those times that have spoken to us powerfully in the past remind us that you are the God who is with us you are the God who is faithful to us I just love you Jesus so much and praise you amen so we are in a series in the Sermon on the Mount um, particularly, it, it's the name of the series is Back to Galilee, and we're looking at everything that Jesus taught in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount in particular in the light of the resurrection. So in other words, now that the resurrection has occurred, not that anybody was necessarily anticipating that it would, but now that it has, um, we have to go back and reconsider everything that Jesus had to say and teach because it powerfully changes how we read and understand everything that Jesus said. Right? Last week, we were talking about divorce and marriage. And that some people's orientation to the Old Testament Torah, the Old Testament law and the prophets, was specifically to try and find loopholes that would justify them behaving in a way that was not godly, was not right, was not good. And that you can do that. You can easily find your way through the Old Testament looking for some way to justify certain behaviors. The one Jesus dealt with last week was specifically divorcing your spouse. Finding a loophole where Moses permitted women to divorce, using that loophole for a totally different reason than Moses instituted it, and then justifying putting your wife away in that context. That's how people were orienting themselves to the Torah. And Jesus says, no way, that's not all right. You don't realize that, maybe you don't realize it, but that does harm to your ex-spouse in that moment. At that time, it is violence to them. It betrays that trust that we talked about in a marriage ceremony today. This week, we're not so much going to talk about looking for loopholes. We're going to talk about creating loopholes. Because we're good at that too, right? Creating loopholes. Jesus, oh wait, I want to back up for a second. Because I want to bring us up to speed a little bit more than just last week and this week. 
So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gathers together a ragtag bunch of ragamuffin, dirty-faced, messed-up people that all have something that they need God for. Right? They start following him, chasing him around, pursuing him, wanting to be healed, wanting to be touched, wanting to be transformed, wanting to find some hope in life. Everybody likes hope, right? Hope is like a necessity when it comes to life. So he then talks to these, this group of people that are in such great need, and he says to them crazy things like, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the meek. He says these crazy, crazy things and flips the world upside down before them. And after that, to the same group of people, he says, you are salt and light for the world. You're God's covenant people. You're to season it, to change it, to make it flavorful, to preserve it, to take care of it. And you are to illuminate the world with light. You are to be a a way in which people can see their way. And then he starts off with what we refer to as the antitheses, the contrasts, where Jesus has something to say about the Old Testament Torah, where it's, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And of course, some of these things, especially starting in a couple of weeks, becomes radically challenging to how people read their Old Testament. But Jesus is constantly challenging how we read things and sometimes twist and use them to our own advantage. Jesus said in setting up these antitheses, he says, do not even begin to think in light of what I'm about to say that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy them, but I've come to fulfill them to reveal to you them the fullness, of which can be summed up as, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Remember the dog butt hook. <laughs> Everything hangs on those two commands. If you don't hang any interpretation of the Old Testament on those two commands of love God and love your neighbor, it falls flat on the floor. If you didn't catch the reference, don't worry. We'll tell you later. You can ask me about the dog butt hook. Well, puppy butt hook, whatever. How do you tell the difference with the... Anyway. All right. So the first of those antitheses was on murder. You've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But Jesus says, if you are angry with your brother, you are subject to, to, to the fires of hell, to finding yourself in the trash heap. Right where you put somebody by being angry with them, right? by showing contempt for them, for not caring about them, for saying things like, you guys remember what? Raka? Yeah. Raka. The sound somebody makes before they're going to spit in someone's face. A word of contempt. Jesus says that's just like murdering somebody. And then as we already talked about, divorce doing violence to people. You can't use the law to just look for loopholes and pretend like, I'm all fine. Moses said I could do it. So today, again, not looking for loopholes, but creating them. I want to read today's text from two translations. 
first one from the NIV 2011 and the second one from the message. Again, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Same text from the message. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. Perfect. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. So Jesus is probably quoting from Deuteronomy 23. 23.21, which says, When you make a vow to God, your God, don't put off keeping it. God, your God, expects you to keep it. And if you don't, you're guilty. So when I was a kid, it was a thing. It was a thing to, uh, to get out of promises with a sleight of hand. In order to exclude oneself from the rules that normally applied in any given situation, all you had to do was one really simple sleight of hand, right? You guys know this. <laughs> sure, I'll go do that for you, Dad. Yeah, I'll water the cow. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> that was really one of them, too. I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. We do this. This is a thing we do, right? Now, maybe not crossing our fingers, but, but we make promises that we never intend on keeping, sometimes finding a way to opt for some verbiage or some hand gestures in this case that will somehow seemingly exclude us from actually doing them. The older we get, the more sophisticated this game of finger crossing becomes. The problem is that when we build them into what we say, we give people that we want to anyway, air of authenticity in what we're saying when the entire time we're establishing a means to escape the promise. We say in some variation something along the lines of, I offer you an oath on my family name. I will invest your money wisely. The entire time knowing that your family name is, is Ponzi. Come on, that was pretty good. Ponzi scheme? That was the actual person, Ponzi? Okay. I was going to say Nixon. <laughs> or Clinton. <laughs> well, that might be a little too close to home right now. So. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Or maybe it's something like, like this. Once upon a time, there was a man who needed to borrow some money to fix his car so that he could make it to work. But the only person he knew who had any money was a man he already owed money to. But because of his desperation, he went to the man anyway, and he asked, can I borrow $100? I need to fix my car so I can go to work. I can easily repay you if I only make it to work. The, man, the wealthy man responded, but you already owe me 150 bucks. Who's to say you will actually pay me back? Oh, well, I vow that I will, said the needy man. But you promised with a vow last time to pay me back, said the debtor. Well, yeah, but that time I vowed by the cross. This time I swear by the blood on the cross. That might sound crazy. I mean, that really sounds crazy. That sounds like utterly ridiculous, doesn't it? Doesn't that just sound like mind-blowingly ridiculous if somebody would do something like that? Well, that exact kind of thing was rampant in Jesus' day. Most scholars today refer to it as the scaling of oaths. The scaling of oaths. I suppose you could also call it tricky oath math or creating loopholes of differing sizes. Let me read for you from Matthew 23, 16 through 22. By the way, the woes of Matthew 23 fit with the antitheses of Matthew 5. This is one of those that fits together closely. Woe to you, blind guides. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the religious elite, the religious crowd, the people that had power. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne. And, the one, and by the one who sits on it. That's what they were doing. They were coming up with tricky ways to swear and create oaths that they never intended to follow through with. Oh, well, I wasn't really going to pay you back that $100 that I borrowed because I don't really fulfill vows that I make when I swear them to altars, only when I swear them to the gold on the altar or the gold on the temple, not just the temple. It seems nuts, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem crazy? I'm afraid that this is rampant today. I'm afraid that this happens regularly. We've just learned to be even trickier with our speech. Jesus, though, teaches us that we cannot get out of our commitments because we offered some low-scale oath, some low-scale vow. We can't say, well, I swore by something that didn't mean much to me. I mean, what, 
we can't possibly do that. Our word needs to be our word. What we say needs to have some credibility to it. You've heard it said before, a man or a woman is nothing without their word. How could we possibly then choose something else that's lesser than our word and swear by it? and find in some sense that that's going to bolster what our word means. can't happen. Besides, if I made an oath to Corey to do something, and I said, I swear by the carpet in the sanctuary, I'll do it. <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, oh, I, didn't, I don't like the carpet in the sanctuary. And she's like, well, how am I supposed to know that? The carpet didn't mean anything to me. It was your word that meant something to me. I didn't know that the carpet didn't mean anything to you, thanks. Deteriorates relationships. You have probably had people break promises to you. And it hurts. It destroys relationships. Jesus says simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Anything more comes from the evil one because anything more means that that which should matter the most does not matter enough. If what should matter the most doesn't matter much, it can't be made more by swearing by something that has inherently less value. Let your yes be yes. Today's message is super, super simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay, maybe it's not so simple. I probably personally don't struggle that much. I mean, I'm not saying I don't fail with my yes being yes sometimes. I probably fail when my no should be no, but I say yes instead. Okay? So my yeses and my noes are sometimes mixed up. Oh, Cole, can you do that? Oh, yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> right? In order for our yes to be yes and our no to be no, we need to figure out what we can even do, which is a slightly different problem than the one that Jesus is addressing. But it still hurts all the same. When we make empty promises, when we make promises we don't intend to fulfill, when we make promises and we fail to fulfill them because we aren't being good stewards of our time, people get hurt. If you've ever been stood up on a, on a date, <laughs> or you have ever had a parent promise you to take you someplace and they didn't do it, I, had, I can't remember having that happen, so don't put that on my parents, because I don't remember them ever doing that. But I have had friends promise me to do things and have, not, and have them not show up, not come through, not care. And it hurts. This is so important because God made us so relational. And quite honestly, when somebody hurts us that bad, we could say, I could give a rip less about the gold on the altar or the carpet in the sanctuary. What I care about is that you really actually care about me. Or you don't care about me. Hmm. 
So is Jesus calling for a total ban on oath-making? This is too big of a question, honestly, for us to answer right here, right now, in a really, really full going down every potential rabbit trail. You've got to come to Bible study for that. We make it like two verses in one given day. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. One year in Exodus, that's right. One year. We don't even go down every rabbit trail possible. It's close to it. What's that? Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's, that's I'm going to get to that in just a second. So I, I'll, I'll say it in a nutshell. I don't think so. I don't think Jesus is telling us never to give our word. He has spoken of marriage already right here in Matthew 5. And he will again in chapter 19. Those were understood as promises, as oaths, covenants entered into. God makes covenants with people. He makes oaths with people. There's a strong sense of oath-making within Scripture. But his point, his point is that what we cannot do is offer a whole bunch of embellishment to try and reinforce with a bunch of garbage what should stand being our word. You can't make your word anything more than what your word is. And you certainly should not try and offer some extra verbiage, religious or the like, to try and make your promise sound more promising when you never intended to fulfill it the whole time anyway. Because that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with people that are standing behind their religious talk to try and offer up vows and promises when they never intended on fulfilling them in the first place. That's what he does not want us to do. What Jesus is banning is simple. He's banning the notion of creating loopholes, what you say, so that you can scale your, your vows. You can offer some pecking order to what you really intend to do. Just let your let yes be yes and your no be no. Something I think that we fail to take into consideration is that <clears throat> Jesus is doing much more than simply coming to the world to die for our sin. Now don't get me wrong because he's doing that, but he's doing so much more than that. Like Unfortunately, I think that's kind of the bulk of what people take away from what it means to be a Christian. Somebody, Jesus died for my sin, and so I get to go to heaven, and I get to do whatever I want to do. And that's not what Jesus has come to do. He's come to establish his Father's kingdom on earth, and he's called us to be different than the rest of the world. He knows we can be. He's put his spirit in us. We can be different people. We don't have to live out of that old way that wants to create loopholes in our covenant-making that never we, when we never intend to fulfill it anyway. We can learn. We can be transformed and empowered to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We can do this. Jesus has a vision. A vision where the kingdom of the heavens is ruling and its subjects love God and they love one another. And we absolutely can sit here and say today that it does not feel good to have somebody not follow through with what they promise to do in our lives. It hurts, it breaks us, it wounds us. And we should never want to do that to somebody else. 
There's no need to elaborate on a yes. There's no need to elaborate on a no. Just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And when you find yourself moving in some other direction, check yourself. Slow down. Just check yourself. Say, because it's going to happen sometime, right? Down the road, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, 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 yes. Ooh, wait a second. Right? It's going to happen. You can just slow yourself down and say, wait a second. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to add all kinds of other verbiage. If I can't do something, I'm going to say no. If I can do it, I'm going to say yes. If I intend to actually follow this out and do what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to say yes. If I don't, I'm going to say no. I want to be honest because I recognize that my actions impact the lives of others. That's the covenant kind of people God calls us to be. The people that are just honest. So hard. So hard. So hard. But boy, when we fail to do it, it gets us in so much trouble. But God is so good. He sends His Son to teach us, to show us, to help us capture this vision of a community of people that just lets their yes be yes and their no be no and lives that way justly in the world around us. He comes to teach us what life should look like and how in many ways we complicate it and muck it all up by adding too much stuff when it should just be yes and no. So, it's in your hands. Are you going to let God win out in this way with you? Have you been letting God win out in this way with you? Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to trust Him to take your life in His hands and work out whatever the ramifications of are when your yes is yes and your no is no? Will you let Him do that? He'll bless you. He'll be with you. He might make you poor, but He'll bless you. Right? He'll bless you. He might make you meek, but He's going to bless you. He might even... might even have you be persecuted, but he's going to bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, praise you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you come sometimes and you just put things in plain, simple language. We think we get all tricky with our words sometimes, um, but you are the God who knows the thoughts that are on our minds before they even form into words on our lips. And that there's no pull in the world over your eyes. You see what we do. You see what goes on. And you just want us to be honest with you. You want us to be honest with one another. You want us to love you. And you want us to love one another. And how can we possibly do that if we are not honest with one another of our intention? So thank you, Jesus, that you just come sometimes straight in our midst and you're just like, here, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Praise you. Father, help us as we, as a community, seek to do this better in our lives, to do this better as a church. Father, I just would ask that you, your spirit would empower us. We love you so much. We see how good your vision is. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and bringing your Father's kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.